You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you today and through the entire month of March by our very good friends at my bookie. It's March, and yes, that does mean football spring practice, as we will get to here momentarily, but March also means March Madness. It's college basketball season. So make your March Madness a moneymaker this year with my bookie. Getting started is so easy, guys. All you have to do is go to mybookie.ag online, use the promo code UGA, to get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000. Yeah, you heard me right, $1,000. Grab your extra funds now, and for a limited time, claim a free entry into the $150,000 MyBookie Madness Bracket Contest for a chance at big money. If you're the type of guy who likes to fill out multiple brackets to get an advantage, you can do that too. The price of entry is less than an Uber ride, guys. It's nothing all for a shot at life-changing amounts of money. So with so many brands to choose from, guys, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win, like MyBookie. Trust me, I've tried them all. MyBookie is the way to go bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. But as for our show today, guys, you know the drill. I am your host, Tyler, and it is March 7th, 5.39 p.m. as I sit here right now, which means that Georgia's football spring practice is exactly one short week away. I can't freaking wait, man. I'm pumped for it. We're going back to back to back, baby. That's the mission, and it all starts here. So with spring practice just around the corner, for us, that means it's about damn time that we get to our spring practice primers. I'm going to be running two of these. This one today, and then part two on Friday, and my mission over the course of these next two episodes is to preview every single position battle that will be contested this spring and, of course, on into the fall. I'm going to talk positional outlooks, leaders in the clubhouse, dark horse contenders, names to watch, all that fun stuff. And we know, guys, look, nothing is going to be decided here in the spring. I'm not going to try to make it out that spring is the decisive factor, but it starts here. It starts in the spring. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to talk some actual real football. So let's go ahead, man. Let's dive right into it. Today, 
I'm going to focus exclusively on the offense and break down every single position, and then I'll do the defense on Friday's episode, every single position. And to kick things off, look, man, I don't want to bury the lead. I know that all eyes this spring and really all offseason are going to be firmly on the quarterback battle. That drama, that competition has only just begun. And I know that we've addressed this relatively recently, you know, when we did our way to early 2023 football season preview a couple of weeks ago, but it doesn't hurt to dive into it again. By now, you all know the names very well. It's a three-man race. We got Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, and Gunnar Stockton. Carson Beck going into year four here in the program, Vandegrift going into year three, and Gunnar Stockton going into his redshirt freshman season, his second year on campus. You know that. You also know that last season, Carson Beck was our clear number two quarterback behind Stetson Bennett. In fact, he was really the only backup quarterback to get any sort of meaningful reps. And he didn't even get meaningful reps, but like even like meaningful garbage time reps, if that's a thing. He was the first quarterback off the bench. He got almost all the garbage time reps. He's been here in Athens, been with the program for four years, longer than either Stockton or Vandegrift. So you have to imagine... He is the leader in the clubhouse heading into the spring. But just because you're the leader in the clubhouse does not mean that you are definitively the guy. He has not earned that yet. Last year, he earned the right to be the backup quarterback. This is a new season and an entirely new competition with an entirely new offensive coordinator who also happens to be the new quarterback coach, which of course has to factor into this conversation. You cannot talk about the quarterback battle without talking about the fact that Todd Munkin is gone and Mike Bobo is in as OC and QB coach. I do think the change at coordinator opens the door a little bit more for either Vandengriff or Stockton to make that leap and jump up and overtake Carson Beck. I'm not sitting here and telling you I'm predicting that. I'm not predicting anything right now. I'm not ready to do that because I have not seen enough from any of these guys. Obviously, we saw more of Carson Beck, and he did a a fantastic job in, in spot duty last year in garbage time, but that's garbage time. That's not being the number one quarterback in the biggest moments in the biggest games of the season. And the guy, Todd Munkin, who previously last year, tabbed you as the number two quarterback, he is gone. You have an entirely different set of eyes. Yes, Mike Bobo was there on staff last year and his voice was heard. He had a voice in the conversations offensively. Todd Munkin made that very clear late in the season when he was giving his interviews during the lead up to both the Peach Bowl and the national championship game. But Mike Bobo also wasn't the decision maker. He was an advisor. The decision maker was Todd Munkin. And Munkin, in those interviews in the lead up to the bowl games, made it very clear the quarterback decision was his decision. Now, he took input from other people and Kirby also, you know, had a voice in that as well. But Munkin made it clear that Kirby left the quarterback choice up to him. Munkin ran the offense, guys. And I imagine that Mike Bobo is going to have a similar level of control over the offense this season. Now, I can't say that with a, any specific degree of certainty because, you know, Todd Munkin earned that, you know, through his three years here in Athens. I mean, that guy was lights out. Bobo's got to come in. And I think Bobo has a good resume going back, especially to his time here in Athens. I know the last couple stops, people like to point out, his, his detractors like to point out, although it was a disaster. Well, yeah, as I've pointed out many times, there's, there's context that we're not going to dive into that right now. I think my Bobo is a good coordinator. I think he's going to do a really good job for us. I don't think we're going to really lose anything going from Todd Monk into Mike Bobo, especially with the talent that we have. And I think Bobo's going to run a very similar system. I think their verbiage is going to stay the same. I don't think you're going to see much of a change at all. It's kind of like Alabama the past couple of years. Whatever coordinator left, they plug in a new coordinator and Saban insisted this, that the system and the verbiage 
the language within the offense stay the same, concepts stay the same. And I think Kirby is going to do something very similar here. And that makes sense when you consider that Boba was here in Athens last year, learning with Todd Munkin and having some input into the design of the offense himself. But the bottom line is, I do think the fact that we have a new coordinator, a new QB coach, who is going to be a different decision maker than Todd Munkin, who might see things a little bit different, might be looking for different qualities, different traits, and might have a little bit of a different judgment of these three quarterbacks, might put a premium on different aspects of their games. I do think that opens the door for the guys that were number three and number four last year. And Gunnar Stockton, guys, I'm just telling you right now, do not discount him. I was reading an article from ESPN the other day, and it was, you know, which one of these perfunctory articles where it's people who don't really know what they're talking about. It's a national writer, and you, you gotta you gotta give the guy some slack, come some slack there, because he's gotta cover the entire country. He doesn't know all the nitty-gritty details of every single team. How can you when there's all those teams out there? But they published a piece on the SEC, and, and I think the topic was the biggest question for each program heading into spring practice. And of course, for Georgia, it was the quarterback battle. They did not even mention Gunnar Stockton in that conversation. It was just Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift. Gunnar Stockton was not even a name that was brought up in any capacity. I think that's a mistake. I'm not sitting here telling that Gunnar Stockton is going to win the battle, but to completely discount him and to not even include him in the conversation, that is a mistake. I can tell you guys with a great deal of confidence that the coaching staff last year was really, really impressed with Gunnar Stockton as the season progressed with how he was running the scout team. Now, running the scout team, obviously, we know is very different. It's a very different animal than running the actual offense in real games and meaningful situations. Obviously, we know this. But let's think back to 2017. Who was the last quarterback you remember coaches bragging about and teammates bragging about how he was running the scout team? Oh, yeah. That guy named Stetson Bennett who just so happened to be a Heisman Trophy finalist this past season and led us to back-to-back national titles. I'm not saying that Gunnar Stockton's going to be Stetson Bennett. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the guy has opened some eyes. He's opened some eyes in the program, and he is going to have a shot. I would not discount him. Obviously, what works against him is the fact that he has not been in the system as long as either Vandegrift or Beck. But as I was just laying out, isn't that kind of mitigated to some degree by the fact that we do have a new coordinator? Yeah, I do think it will be largely the same system, the same language, but but there are going to be some changes. There are going to be some adjustments, and there's going to be a learning curve for even Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift, who have that year or two years of experience over Gunnar Stockton. So I think that that does give him, again, a little bit more of a window. And you can say the same thing for Brock Vandegrift in terms of trying to catch up with Carson Beck, who's a year ahead of him. But from a mechanic standpoint, from the standpoint of just understanding college offenses and understanding coverages, all those things, obviously Carson Beck has an edge there because he's been doing it longer. Even though he hasn't done a ton of games, he's been in the meeting rooms, he's watched film longer than guys like Brock Van Griffin, of course, even more so Gunnar Stockton. I think a big question that has to be answered when you're talking about this battle, I've mentioned this before, but let's talk about it again. Let's dive in a little bit more here, is how much of a premium does Mike Bobo put on mobility at the quarterback position? We know that it was a decisive factor for Todd Munkin. He made that very clear the past couple of years. Kirby Smart made it very clear. And he kept saying it over and over and over again in 2021 when the reporters, every single press conference, every single one, the beat writers are asking him, hey, you know, what about JT? Like, what's JT's health? Like, what's what's going to happen when JT comes back? Like, how are you going to make that decision between him and Stetson? Is it actually an open competition? Like, what's going on? And every single time he was honest and he said, 
you know, it's it's really Stetson's mobility. That's what's giving him the edge right now. That's kind of what's separating him. We think that gives us a better chance to win. And we didn't want to believe it. The beat writers didn't want to believe it. They kept asking the questions. Fans didn't want to believe it. Even at times, like when he first would start saying that, I was like, nah, man, come on. There's going to be more to it than that. But eventually, I started to believe him because I saw Stetson do it. I saw Stetson make difference-making plays with his leg. And that was a decisive factor for him and Todd Munkin because they realized in the modern era of football, having a quarterback with mobility gives you an edge at that position. You can make plays that you otherwise would not be able to make if you do not have a certain level of mobility. And that gave Stetson an edge. The guy had two rushing touchdowns in the national title game had double-digit rushing touchdowns on the season. That absolutely was a factor in what made Stetson Bennett Stetson Bennett. But that was Todd Munkin. How much of a premium does Mike Bobo put on that mobility? Is it as important to him as it was to Todd Munkin? Because if it is, and maybe it's even more important to Mike Bobo, who knows? If it is, doesn't that give Vandegrift and Stockton a little bit of an edge? Again, open up their window even more? Because... While Beck is not a statue, like he's not immobile, he's not as mobile as Vandegrift for Stockton. He's just simply not. That's not his game. Like he can move a little bit. He can move in the pocket. He can he can roll out. Like he's a solid athlete, but he's not a guy that you're going to run any sort of design QB run stuff with. Stockton and Vandegrift both, you absolutely can do that with them. Not only can they extend plays within the pocket, not only can they escape pressure, not only can they pick up scramble first downs on third and long that just devastate defenses, you can actually run some design QB run stuff with them, especially with Stockton. I mean, he's he's a thicker dude. He's, he's a little bit of a different running style. They both can run hard if you go back and look what they did in high school, but Stockton's a little bit more of a violent runner than Vandegrift was. And when you have a quarterback with mobility to that degree where you can actually line up and run some QB run stuff with him, that opens up a whole nother aspect of your run game. It makes it easier for your actual running backs to run the football because now defenses have to account for the QB. You can get the plus one in the box and that makes your entire run game, your overall run game, that much more effective. I am a believer in mobility at the quarterback position. I think it's almost a necessity at this point, with a few exceptions here and there. I mean, I guess you could point at C.J. Stroud and say, well, that guy really wasn't mobile, because I told you guys in the lead up to the Peach Bowl that he just like refused to run all year, and that was very true. But in the biggest game this season, when they had to have it, what did C.J. Stroud do? He ran the football. And what did that help them do? It helped them pick up important first downs and help them take the lead in that game and almost win that game, right? Without C.J. Stroud running the way that he did, I don't think they would have had the lead like they did in the fourth quarter. That was a critical aspect of the game because we weren't prepared for because he hadn't done it all year. So even guys like Stroud who aren't like super mobile, when they've got to against the most elite defenses, they they understand they've got to run the football. You have to be able to do it at the quarterback position because it's a difference maker. I believe that. Does Mike Bobo? I think so. We're going to have to find out though. So I wish I could give you more of a prediction and projection on who I think is going to win the battle. Again, right now I have to say that Carson Beck, based off you know, recent experience has to be the leader in the clubhouse, but I, by no means do I think it's a done deal. I think it's very much, very much an open competition. And I need to see all these guys on the field. I'm very excited about G-Day. There's a lot of things I want to watch on G-Day. Obviously, like most of you, first and foremost, I'm going to be watching that quarterback position and to see what these guys can bring to the table, what they've, what they've done to progress. Because the fact is we have not seen really any of Gunnar Stockton and hardly any of brought Vandegrift out there on the field. So I'm very excited to see what they can do and to see if they've been able to close the gap or has Carson Beck extended his lead. We don't know. We'll find out. That's certainly the first thing I'm going to be watching all spring long. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. 
From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's keep this rolling on and let's go to the tight ends real quick. I want to get the tight ends on the way because there's not as many players in contention here. And we 100% know who the alpha is. We know that it is Brock Bowers. Not only is he the alpha tight end in our tight end room, he's the alpha of all tight ends in the country. Hell, Brock Bowers might be the alpha of all players in the country. He might be the best player in college football this season. So there's no debating that. We know Brock is that dude, not just for us, but for really all of college football. I do want to see Brock continue to progress as a blocker. I thought he took really big strides last year. He was always willing to do that, even as a freshman. But I did think he actually improved in that regard last year. He was able to stick on on blocks a little bit more consistently. He was able to use leverage a little bit more consistently. His hand placement was better. All those things were better, but he still has room to improve in all those areas, and I think that he will because Brock works. But obviously, we have zero questions about Brock Bowers. We know who that dude is, Mackie Awarder. We we know. The bigger question, of course, is who is going to be the Robin to Brock Bowers as Batman this season? Who is going to be that number two tight end? You know how much 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field that we have run the past two years. Going back to 2021, we ran quite a bit of 13 personnel. We didn't really see that as much last year because we didn't have as much confidence in some of the other guys as we did with Fitzpatrick back in 2021. Maybe that comes back into play a little bit this year, but you know at the very least there's going to be a high degree of 12 personnel, roughly 50% of the time, which is what we've been running the past two seasons. So who is going to be that second guy? I think the leader of the clubhouse this season has to be Oscar Delp, who was a freshman last year, who played some good solid minutes for us. You know, obviously Darnell Washington went down early in the Peach Bowl and Oscar had to come off the bench. And I thought he performed admirably in a very, very big situation. We know this guy is extraordinarily athletic. I think he's very comparable to Brock Bowers in his athleticism. He's not as straight line fast as Brock, but he moves very, very well. Based off what I've seen from him coming out of high school in the smaller sample size, the college level, he has very similar pass catching abilities to Brock. Now, Brock is an absolute freak when it comes to catching the ball, the degree of difficulty of some of these catches, but Oscar really isn't that far off. This dude is an elite pass catching tight end, and he has 
fantastic size, an incredible frame. 6'5", 225. No, he's not Darnell Washington. Don't expect him to be that. He's not that big. He's not going to be that kind of inline blocker. But I do think he is a more advanced pass catcher and just route runner. He's a very fluid route runner. We were all very impressed with Darnell's straight line speed, the NFL combine running in the, in the load mid four sixes. But he's not as fluid as a guy like Oscar Dubb. As much of a threat as Darnell was in the passing game, and he was bigger and had a little bit of a different threat, Oscar's a guy that has a different level of overall athleticism and pass-catching ability. So I think there's an upgrade there, while certainly it's going to be a downgrade when it comes to the blocking game. But I'm very high on Oscar Dub. I think he's going to be a big-time player for us. He's another guy like Brock Bowers who has a reputation of having an awesome work ethic. And if that's the case, which I've heard from multiple sources, then he is going to be very, very good for us this season. So I'm pretty confident that our top two tight ends, our one-two punch this season, is going to be Brock Bowers and Oscar Delp. But I do think that some of our younger tight ends, the two true freshmen, are potentially going to factor into the conversation as well. So we have both Lawson Lucky coming in from Norcross High School and Pierce Sperlin coming in from South Walton High School in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. And they are both, depending on what recruiting service you look at, borderline fringe top 100 prospects overall nationally. According to the 247 Composite, which is an average of all the different recruiting services out there, Pierce Sperlin's more highly ranked, number 76 overall nationally, the number two tight end nationally, whereas Lawson Lucky's number 143 overall, the number eight tight end nationally. But 247 Sports, in their own individual rankings, has Lawson Lucky ranked higher than Sperlin, has him as the number two tight end. I I like both these guys. I told you before we did our recruiting recap episode, I think Lawson Lucky is going to have a chance to get on the field earlier than Pierce Sperlin for this reason. I think Lawson is more advanced as an inline blocker right now. I think he's more of a willing blocker. I think he's a more experienced blocker. And I think he's a more effective blocker than what Pierce Sperlin is. Pierce is taller and longer and has been more of a receiving threat in his high school career. I mean, Sperlin played out wide as basically a receiver for a large portion of his high school career at 6'6", 240. He's taller, longer, and more of a more of a receiver coming out of high school. Whereas Lucky, 6'3", 225, is stronger and more well-built. And he's just a guy that has more experience being asked to block in line and also being asked to block out on the perimeter. And he's just better at it right now. And with the loss of Darnell Washington, that's why I think Lawson Lucky is going to have more of a chance to play as a true freshman because we need guys out there in the tight end position that can block. And Brock can do it. Delp can do it. But... Those guys also are going to be asked to do a lot in the passing game. I think Lawson Lucky is going to be a guy coming in as a true freshman who might find his way on the field early in his career more so as a blocker than a pass catcher. And don't get me wrong, Lawson can absolutely go out there and make plays in the passing game. He can make plays in space. He can do that, trust me. But I just think his role as a freshman might be more as an inline blocker, more as a blocker on the perimeter in the screen game, kind of like Darnell did last year. And I think that's what's going to maybe separate him from Sperlin early in his career. That does not mean that I am not high on Pierce Sperlin. I absolutely am. I just don't know if he's that kind of blocker right now. And when you have guys like Brock Bowers and Oscar Dupp ahead of you who are as prolific pass catchers as they are, especially Bowers, the fact that you're a great receiver, that might not weigh as heavily this season for a guy like Pierce Spurlin as the fact that Lawson Lucky is a more advanced blocker will weigh a little bit more heavier for him coming into this season as a chance to maybe get on the field earlier as a true freshman. That's my opinion there. That's my take there. I could be wrong, but just what I've seen from him coming out of high school, that's kind of where I am with those two. 
and the early returns coming out of of the winter workouts that Lawson Lucky has been turning heads, been doing exactly what I thought he'd be doing, showing some physicality and willingness to go out there and do those kind of things. So I, I do think that he has a chance to kind of get himself firmly in the rotation as a as an inline blocking tight end if he really goes out there and attacks practice this spring. All right, let's stick with the theme of pass catchers and let's talk about the wide receivers who catch passes for a living by trade. That's what these guys do. We all know that A.D. Mitchell is out the door. He's over there in Austin playing for the Texas Longhorns. Good for him. Cool. Have a good season, I guess. And I'm not going to sit here and say that's not a tough loss. It is. I mean, this is the guy that I still believe was the most talented receiver on the team last year. Now, it didn't really matter because the guy couldn't stay on the field because he had an ankle injury that lasted, what, like three months? But in terms of potential, I mean, he was that guy. Like He was the guy that we had all the expectations for that we saw as our alpha receiver. And I don't want to speak for you guys out there, but that's, that's kind of how I felt about it. But he's no longer an option. He's no longer on the team. So see ya, whatever. Not talking about him anymore. So who does that leave us with? Well, you know what? We still have quite a few really awesome options to work with a wide receiver. First and foremost, you can't start anywhere else other than Lad McConkey, right? Like I know Lad is he's not the prototype size. He's not what you draw up when you think about number one wide receiver, but Lad's pretty much been that for us for two years. I mean, certainly more so last year with the loss of A.D. Mitchell, but even going back to 2021, he didn't start the season that way, but Lad was our most reliable receiver really all year long in 2021. And last year, not only was he our most reliable, he was our he was our biggest playmaker at the wide receiver position all season long. Now, it certainly helps when you have Brock Bowers, but he's not a receiver. He's a tight end. But in terms of actual receivers, it's been Lab McConkie for two years. So with that in mind, why would we expect that to change? I know we went out and we brought in two really good receivers, really productive receivers from the SEC, one from Missouri and Dominic Lovett, one from Mississippi State and Ra Ra Thomas to come in and try to fill the void with the, the departure of A.D. Mitchell. It's more so Ra Ra Thomas with the departure of A.D. because they play that exposition. Lovett can play outside, but he's also more of a slot receiver. That's where he was most effective at Missouri. And those guys are great. I'll talk more about them in just a minute. I'm going to stick with Lad McConkie. I know that when you look at Lad, you see a guy that's like, man, like, man, like, yeah, he makes plays, but like, he really is not a number one receiver, is he? And it's like, well, again, like I said, yeah, he, he kind of has been. And this guy has done it in so many different ways. He's done the screen game like you'd expect a guy of his diminutive size to be able to do, but he's done it in other ways too. He's done it catching those tough contested passes across the middle. He's done it with double moves out wide, just leaving guys and their laundry on the field, leaving the dust with the Tennessee game being the most obvious example of that. He did it against Auburn back in 2021. This this guy has done it all and he's done it in different ways. He's done it in the, the, the jet sweep game as, a, as an actual ball carrier. This guy has been so versatile for us and he's been so productive and so dynamic for us. Why is that going to change? It's not. In fact, if anything, I think it's going to pick up this season with another year in the system and no A.D. Mitchell in the fold. And, and Lad, I think he's clearly more of a natural slot receiver, but he's also played out wide for us by necessity. He's had to do that, played a little X and, and done that very, very well for us. So I, I think his versatility is going to allow him to be just as, if not even more productive this year than he has been in the past. So you got to start there. But let's go and let's talk again. I mentioned them earlier. Let's bring up Rara Thomas and Dominic Lovett. And guys, Rara is going to be on the team. Okay. I know he had that domestic violence like situation, but the felony charge of false imprisonment has been dropped as I expected it would be. And all that remains is one single misdemeanor charge. There might be some internal punishment. I do not expect him to miss any time this season. I could be wrong there, but if you look at Kirby's history in the past, looking at little misdemeanor charges like that, 
there's usually no suspension. It's more internal punishment that's handled, as Kirby likes to say, internally. And Ra-Ra has been a guy that is a true X receiver. That's what he did at Mississippi State. He was their leading receiver last year. I remember watching him play, watched them play in 2021 because I knew they were going to be on our schedule in 2022. And I wanted to go ahead and get a head start on scouting them out because that's kind of just how I roll. I'm neurotic like that. And when I remember watching him in 2021 and I was like, okay, this is a 6-16, six and 16, but that dude's good. And then followed up the next year in 2022, and he is all of a sudden now their leading receiver, and now he's on our roster. So I'm very excited about getting Ra-Ra Thomas. He's more in line physically with A.D. Mitchell. I do think he slots in perfectly at that X position. I do think we have a number of different guys that can play there. I think Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saints, another guy that I really think he has another level that he can take his game to. We know that that Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saints, been a ferocious blocker. We know that he's been a guy that has been an incredible teammate, has made some some big catches for us and he's flashed that ability he just hasn't done it consistently but he's a guy I remember Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint in high school I think at St. Thomas Aquinas which is a big time high school program down in Fort Lauderdale and that dude was legit back in high school I know his high school and college is a different level but he was an alpha guy at the high school level and then you know we know what happened his freshman year in the COVID year in 2020 when I mean his leg basically fell off. I do think that set him back. I think he's back to 100% now, but it just takes time to get back to that level. And I think that next year, he can be a guy that can really take a big step forward and also fill that role at the X position. I do think he's going to pose some competition for Rara. I don't think it's automatically that, that Rara Thomas is just going to insert himself as like that number one X, no questions asked. I think Marcus Rosemey Jackson might potentially have something to say about that. And then the other transfer coming in from Missouri, as excited as I was about Rara Thomas, I was even more excited to get Dominic Lovett. And I don't think that was the general reaction within the Georgia fan base. We landed Rara Thomas before we got Dominic Lovett, what, a couple of days, a week or so before we got Dominic Lovett. And I was excited about Rara myself. I mean, as I just laid out, I, I was really high on him. But Dominic Lovett was much more of a, of a playmaker in the SEC from Missouri last year than Ra-Ra Thomas was. I mean, just go back to our game against Missouri. Lovett made some big-time plays for us. He got hurt in the second half. If he had gotten hurt in that second half, I mean, we might not have walked out of Columbia with that W. But Lovett is a, I think he's a prototypical slot receiver, which the question becomes, okay, we got Lad McConkey, who I also laid out earlier. I think he is best fit as a slot receiver. I think he has versatility and play in different places. And I also think Lovett is a guy that's best as a slot receiver. I think he can. All, he's also played outside. He can do that. But how do we fit those pieces together? I think that's a question that we're going to have to answer, not just in spring. Like we'll, we'll work on a lot of us and just getting better, doing some fundamental stuff. You'll answer more of that in the fall, but you'll start to answer those questions. You'll know, start to figure out, okay, who can help us? And you spend the offseason going into fall camp trying to to move the pieces around and make them fit the best way that you can to make your offense as dynamic and as explosive as you possibly can. But I think Dominic Love, I don't think I know that Dominic Love is going to be a big factor for us as a receiver this year because the guy is just too talented and too explosive not to. But I am very excited to see how he's going to kind of fit into this offense when we get that small little glimpse on April 14th when uh, we had the G-Day scrimmage. Now, the ultimate wild card this season... I think is a guy that I've been very high on. I've been waiting on for a couple of years now, and we finally started to see him kind of flash that potential a little bit more late last season in big moments, and that, of course, is Arian Smith. We know 
what this guy brings to the table. This guy is not only the fastest guy on the team, he might be the fastest guy in the SEC. He might not only be the fastest guy in the SEC, he might be the fastest player in the country. He has elite track speed, and that is not an overstatement. He has elite track speed, like 10-1, close to 10-flat, 100-meter type speed, guys. That's rare. But the problem with Arian, of course, has been injuries, and that is no fault of his. I mean, he's got a slider frame. He's dealt with a variety of injuries. He's dealt with a broken wrist, which was kind of what set him back the first half of his freshman year. Then he dealt with an ankle, and he's had some soft tissue injuries that he's had to deal with. So it's been a variety of things. It hasn't been just one thing. It's just been kind of like a a comedy of injuries at this point. It, It sucked for him, and I know that sucks for him because everything I've ever heard about this guy, everything I've ever been told about him, is that he is an awesome young man and he is a really hard worker behind the scenes, has a great work ethic. He's given up track to focus exclusively on football. He did that last season. So this guy is committed and he attacks the practice, he attacks rehab, and he's just had a a run of bad luck here. I hope that the run of bad luck is over for him because if it is, Arian Smith has the athleticism, the speed, the potential to be an absolute difference maker for us. He has the potential to be the most explosive receiver in the SEC. Now, will that happen? I don't know. Like that's that's what these practices are for. But if we're projecting forward, if he stays healthy, I think he does. As I've mentioned a couple times on this show, I'll say it again, the biggest issue with Arian right now, it's not an athleticism, it's not a potential thing. We know what the guy is capable of. You saw where he literally made the Ohio State safety fall over his own two feet because he got all twisted up trying to keep up with Arian Smith down the field. He strikes fear into the heart of opposing defenders and opposing defense coordinators because he has something that you just simply cannot defend. He has that elite speed. It doesn't matter how good of a cover guy you are, you can't keep up with the dude. But what Arian has to do to actually take his game to the next level and to stay on the field more consistently is he has to actually develop as a technical wide receiver. He has to improve his route running. He has to learn more of the route tree. He has to learn how to read coverages. He has to learn how to break off routes and zones. He has to learn how to read the leverage of defenders. He has to learn how to make side adjustments. All of those things are the things that Arian Smith has to improve on. He's essentially, right now, it's like he developmentally he's going into his sophomore year because he's lost so much time due to injury. He missed pretty much his entire freshman year, the vast majority of his sophomore year, and the first half to two-thirds of his of his junior year. So in terms of actual like on-the-field time on pra- in, in practice, actually development, he's had about the equivalent of a full year. So it's like he's going into year two. So if he can stay healthy, I think Arian can make that jump. Even though it's not year two, it's year four, I think he can finally make that jump in year four because he'll have time to develop on the field at practice. That's the biggest issue for him. He just hasn't had enough practice time. If that changes and he can stay on the field and dear God, I am praying, I am praying so hard that Arian can stay healthy because if he does, I I truly believe it guys. I think Arian can be the most dangerous receiver on our roster. I truly believe that. I just need to see him stay healthy. But I can tell you this, I am absolutely a thousand percent rooting for this guy. He's a fantastic young man. Don't know him, but I've been told by quite a few people that he's just an awesome dude. And I am rooting hard for him, especially when you consider all the injuries and the adversity that he's had to deal with throughout really his entire career here in Athens. So those are the big names that I'm focusing on with the, with the receiver rotation this season. But that that's not all. We, we have a couple other guys that I think 
could, could factor into it. They're going to be in the competition, so I don't want to completely ignore them here. So uh, last year we had Dylan Bell. He was a true freshman, came in the summer, wasn't even early enrollee, and right away started making waves. And when A.D. Mitchell went down, Dylan Dylan Bell got a lot of playing time, made, made some solid plays, which wasn't a dynamic player. You know, he was a young guy. He was learning, but he showed some potential, flash potential. And I think he's a guy that's certainly going to continue to grow and develop. I'm excited to see what he can do in year two. I don't know if he has as high of a potential as a guy like Arian Smith and, and potentially even Marcus Roseby, Jack Saint, and uh, Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas. But I think he's a guy that can certainly factor in the rotation. Jackson Meeks is another player who's also dealt with some injuries throughout his career. And he's shown some flashes when he's had opportunities. Um, he had a touchdown. I mean, it's a wide open touchdown in the second game of the year against Samford, and Stetson just missed him in that game. I know that's, that's Samford, but whatever. But I think Jackson's a guy that, that can do some things. Denyland Morissette, um, originally, I think, well, not originally, he was at Brookwood, then he went to North Cobb. Um, he's a guy that also dealt with some injuries last year. Didn't He got a little bit of playing time, but I, he was actually doing some really positive things in fall camp. I got set back with a couple injuries, but he's another guy that I think can be a, a contributing player for us, even if it's not so much this year. And I don't think he'll have a big role for us this year. I think moving forward in the future, he could potentially grow into that kind of guy. I'm also very, very high on uh, a couple of our freshmen, really all of our freshman receivers. Now they're freshmen. As I always say, you can't count on freshmen to be players that are going to contribute for you. You just hope they can be. And if they are, it's great. It's gravy. It's a luxury, but you can't count on that. You don't want to be in that position. But saying that, I am extremely high on Tyler Williams. I think he's got great speed, great length, great size, good hands. I think he's a guy that can absolutely be a number one wide receiver eventually down the road. I'm really high on both Yazid Haynes and Anthony Evans. They're a little bit different than Williams. They're not as big, but they're more like slot speed guys, more in the vein of like an Arian Smith or Dominic Lovett. But you can see that we're trying to actively get speed at the receiver position. We're trying to get more explosive there, bringing in guys like Dominic Lovett and then bringing in guys like Yazid Haynes and Anthony Evans out of the high school ranks this year. Another guy that has a lot of speed that was just really raw coming out of high school last year is CJ Smith. He's a guy that He's not quite Arian Smith level speed, but he's really not that far off. He's just got to polish his game. I don't expect him to be a major contributor this year, barring a, a massive rash of injuries, knock on wood there. But he's a guy, if he continues to develop, I think he might be a guy that you could see maybe flash a time or two this season if he gets an opportunity and give him another year or two. I think he could be a, a pretty good player for us and, a, and a, not just a solid contributor. I think he can be an explosive playmaker for us down the road. He's just got to continue to grow and develop and learn how to play that position at the college level. But we have a lot of options. Now, do we have a lot of proven options? No, we have Ladd McConkey. It's a proven option. Uh, I, I would say that Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas are both proven options, just not here at Georgia. They got to prove it here for us. But we have some guys that have been proven playmakers at the SEC level. We just don't have a ton of. We have a ton of guys that have potential, but they got to prove it right now. But hey, that's a big part of what makes spring practice fun. It's a big part of what makes it intriguing. It's a big part of what captures our attention. We'll see who rises to the top. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's move on and let's talk about the big uglies up front, those big old offensive linemen. I feel really good about this year's offensive line. If you haven't heard me say that, I'll say it again. I'm really excited about what we can do on the offensive line this year. I know that we are losing a couple of big pieces. I know that we're losing both tackles, losing Broderick Jones, who was elite for us last year. He did not give up a single sack, and he will be a first-round draft pick. Might even potentially work himself in the top 10. He had a really good workout at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis last weekend. He's a guy that I think could be a top 10 draft pick. He might be the first offensive lineman taken in this year's draft. We'll see how that plays out, but he's, he will certainly be taken in the first round. It hurts to lose a guy like that, right? Well, it doesn't hurt as bad when you can replace him with a guy who I think might have even a higher level of potential in Amarius Mims, who might be even, who is bigger and stronger and is at least just as athletic. I 100% believe that Amarius Mims can move over to left tackle and man that position for us this year. He played right tackle for us last year. He split time with Warren McClendon, who was also departed, who was uh, essentially, he was a, a three-year starter for us you know, over the past couple of seasons going back to 2020. But as the season progressed, Amarius Mims got more and more playing time. We know Warren McClendon went down with an injury late in the season, and that opened up the door for Mims to play that position full-time. And I thought he played extraordinarily well in the biggest games of our season in the Peach Bowl and the uh, National Championship game in the college football playoff. The dude's elite. The dude has elite potential. Now, he's still growing, still developing. Uh, He had work ethic issues isn't the right way to say it. He had some habits that he needed to improve on. Uh, as a freshman, and uh, that's why he wasn't playing as much, and that's a big part of why he explored the transfer portal and went to look at Florida State amongst some other schools, but eventually, thank goodness, came back and, and uh, rejoined our team, and uh, I think that was the best move for him. I think he realized that, and I think it played out that way for him, and he really improved his work habits last year, which is why you saw him have more of an opportunity to actually get on the field last year. I think with another year in the system and with the opportunity to play left tackle, I think you're going to see the best version of Amarius Mims that we have seen to this point. And I think the best version of Amarius Mims is a top 10 level NFL draft pick in the first round. Like I truly believe that. And he might stick at right tackle. That's one of the things that we'll find in the spring. I think he'll get a look at both positions. I think he can play left tackle. I think in terms of athleticism, he, he will be our best option on the team. He's our most athletic option to play that position. He's not the only option, but I think he gives us the most athleticism out there, which is a very important trade at left tackle. So I think he'll get a look there. The other option would be Ernest Green, who was really doing some really positive things for us and was really making some waves, opening some eyes during practice last season, fall camp. And then he got injured about halfway through the season. There was a back injury he had to deal with a little bit. And uh, that set him back. It certainly set him back. Kind of like Broderick Jones got hurt as a freshman. That set him back and he had to get bigger and stronger. Couldn't really work out the way they wanted to. But by the time he was in year three, Broderick was a force. We'll see what happens with Ernest. As far as I know, is what, I, what I've heard is that he's fully cleared. He's working out with the team, doing everything full go. I, I hope that's the case. I just wonder how much the injury missing a large chunk of the back half of last season, how much that set his development back as a young player. But the potential is there. He's a big dude. 6'4", 330 out of a really good high school in California, St. John Bosco, a high-level program. And he's he was a really polished 
offensive linemen coming out of high school. A lot of these guys aren't super polished coming out of high school because they just physically dominate the guys that go up against. And he certainly did that, but he was also more advanced than your average offensive lineman coming out of high school. So that, that certainly gave him a head start coming into college. And he's got the physical tools, man. He's got the size. He moves really well. He's really light on his feet for a guy that size. I think he could definitely play left tackle too. I just think what I've seen from them, I think Mims might be a little bit more athletic. So I think maybe Green fits in at right tackle. Or maybe our coaches sit back and say, you know what? Amarius, you played right tackle last year. You feel comfortable there. We're going to keep you there. And Ernest will give that shot left tackle. Maybe that's how it works out. Uh, Or maybe Ernest Green doesn't win that job. I don't know. That's just my projection right now. The other options that we would have there, I think Xavier Truss will get a look there. He's gotten looks there in the past. Obviously, he fit in at guard for us last year. But he's a guy that has the size and the length to play left tackle or right tackle. I just sometimes worry about his foot speed and overall athleticism. I think that's what's held him back there in the past and why he's maybe a better fit on the interior of the offensive line. But I think he'll get a look there. Chad Lindbergh is another name that you don't hear a ton about, but he is a guy that I think he fits more as a tackle than a guard. I think he'll get an opportunity to play out there. But those are the big names that I would look at at tackle. I would look at Amarius Mims. I would look at... Chad Lindbergh, I look at Ernest Green, and maybe potentially Micah Morris. Micah Morris is a guy that I think has some versatility, could play inside, could play outside. I like him better inside, but I think he has the potential to play outside as well. And we we, we got to find at least a two deep there, right? So we're going to have to find some guys that can play those positions. I'm also not going to entirely count out true freshman Monroe Freeling, who worked himself up into five-star status late in this cycle. I've told you guys before, I felt he was a five-star prospect all along. He was a high four-star for most of the cycle. By the end of this 2023 recruiting cycle, he was um, tabbed as a top 35 player, a five-star prospect with a 247 composite, and I think that's certainly fitting for him. He is a dude that has an incredible frame, 6'7", 283. He needs to, to fill it out, add a little bit more weight, maybe get a little bit stronger, but in terms of athleticism, this guy is elite. And it also in terms of like how advanced you are as a technician at the high school level, I feel like Monroe Freeling was highly advanced in terms of his his technical abilities, actually playing that position with hand placement, leverage, all those types of things, his, his pass set, all those things. I felt like he was a step ahead of most of the offensive linemen in this cycle, at least the tape that I watched. So I'm not going to completely discount him. I don't, I would not project him to be a starter this year because I do think he needs a year to get a little bit bigger and stronger and fill out that frame. Now, if he comes to, if you know, he's on campus right now. He's here for, for spring practice. He's an early enrollee. That certainly gives him a head start. I don't know how much good weight he has put on from, let's say, when he got here in late December to right now in the past, what, two and a half, three months, what, however long he's been here. It's hard for me to know that. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll see him out there. But right now, I, I just don't know. If he's at 6'7", 280, 285, that's not quite big enough to really hold up consistently in the SEC in the trenches. I, at least I don't think so when we have other options. But hey, if he's got himself up to 300, 300 plus, because he's really attacked the weight program and the nutrition program, then, hey, all bets are off there. I just, again, I, I go back to what I always say. It's my refrain when it comes to recruiting. You just, I don't count on it. I don't count on freshmen, especially in the trenches in the SEC where it's a man's league. I don't count on them. If if he can be that guy, if he can be a Trenton Sturdivant and, and really impact us, man, that's a name from the past, a blast from the past there. If he can be that kind of guy as a true freshman, Andrew Thomas maybe, great, awesome. I just can't expect that. If it happens, fantastic. We'll see. I, I'm just not going to discount him because he is highly athletic and highly talented. And again, we got to find guys to play tackle. I think he'll probably end up in the two deep at the very least. I just don't know if I would project him as a starter right now. 
But here's the cool thing when it comes to the offensive line, guys. Yeah, we're losing two guys off the offensive line, both tackles. One of them is going to be a top 10 draft pick. You never like to see that happen. But again, when you can replace that guy with, a, with another dude, I think it's going to be a top 10 draft pick and Marius Mims. You're kind of okay-ish with that. But we have four starters returning from the national championship game. We have Cedric Van Pran at center. We have Xavier Truss at left guard. We have Tate Ratledge at right guard. And we have Marius Mims at one of the tackles. So we really only need to plug in one guy off the off the offensive line that was the runner-up once again for the Joe Moore Award. And you hear coaches talk about this often when it comes to the offensive line. We want to find our best five. So who is that best five? Is it uh, an offensive line that has Tate Ratledge and Xavier Truss at the guard position, flanking Cedric Van Pran at center, and Amarius Mims and Ernest Green at tackle? Or... Do we think that Dylan Fairchild, who's a guy that I have heard a lot of really good things about, I was really high on him coming out of high school, I love these guys that are offensive linemen that were not just wrestlers, but elite state champion caliber wrestlers, because it takes a high degree of athleticism and flexibility to do that, uh, to, to wrestle at that level in high school, and you're also, it just takes toughness, man, it takes, that dude's just nasty, and I love it, I think it really translates to the college level on the offensive line, I really truly believe that, and Dylan Fairchild is a guy that's really attacked the weight room. He's gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. You see him around here in Athens, see him around campus. That dude is big. Like He's a guy that I think can really, really factor into our offensive line, not just in a rotation, but maybe even start. It's just a matter of, do we think that Dylan Fairchild is better than Ernest Green or a guy like Monroe Freeling or maybe even Xavier Truss? Because if, if we think that Truss is a guy that can play tackle and we're looking, okay, well, who's our best five? So if we have Truss and we have Mims at the tackle positions, you know, whatever tackle you want to put them at, you know, it's interchangeable. If we think that's the case, well then, who do we like more? Do we like Ernest Green or do we like Dylan Fairchild? Because if Xavier Truss is a guy that can play tackle or guard, that means if you like Dylan Fairchild more, then you can slide Truss out to tackle and you put Fairchild at guard. Because I don't think he's a tackle. I think he's a guard. If you think that Ernest Green is better than Dylan Fairchild, fine. You keep Xavier Truss inside a guard and you put Ernest Green at tackle. I think we got to figure out who our best five is going to be. And I think that certainly starts this spring. But I would throw Dylan Fairchild in that mix. Um, Austin Blasky's a guy who I think he's another uh, elite wrestler coming to high school, which you, again, I love. I think he's going to be our backup center this year. I think he's the heir apparent at center. Micah Morris is another guy highly recruited coming to high school. You can't completely discount him and count him out of the out of the conversation. Jared Wilson, another guy that has a lot of size, which we seem to like right now on the interior of our offensive line. And you have some other guys, Alu Ba, Drew Bobo coming in from last year's class. I think those guys need still maybe a little bit more seasoning and development. But you know, again, we'll see. You can't count anybody out because this competition is wide open. Who actually attacked the the winter workouts, who got better, who took it seriously, who put the work in? We're about to find out. And again, that's what makes this really, really exciting. And finally, can't talk about the offensive line without talking about the running backs. Let's let's wrap this thing up. This is going to be a really interesting running back battle because I think there's any number of ways that we could go with this. Somebody's got to start, right? Now, the the reality is is we're going to have a rotation like we typically always do at the running back position. It's going to be it's going to include guys like Kendall Milton, Dejan Edwards, Branson Robinson's going to factor in, Andrew Paul could certainly factor in if he comes back healthy from his ACL tear, which really sucked in the in in fall camp last year cuz that guy was making waves and really turning heads and, and getting a lot of attention. I think he was going to be in our rotation last year. So how healthy is he coming back from that injury? We'll see. And another name to think about here, Roger Robinson coming out of California. 
This is a dude that's a different kind of guy. I saw him. I saw him downtown a couple weeks ago at the Blind Pig. It was just a Sunday afternoon going there for lunch, and uh, saw him with a couple other players. And he's a big dude. I mean, you watch him, uh, watch his high school tape, and obviously you see that he's big, but you see him in person. He's like, all right, like you're a big dude. Like now he's got a, you know, um, he he's got a little something going on around the waist, but uh, that's part of what what he brings to the table. He's a big, strong, powerful runner, but he's also really light on his feet. He's really athletic. He's really nimble for a guy that size, and he's got some toughness. He played in the state championship game in California, which they won on basically one leg and put up over 200 yards rushing. If you watch a guy play, like, is he even actually kind of moving? Because he's on basically one leg, just kind of gliding out there. But he's a guy that has good speed. He's got really good short area quickness and is big, powerful. I, I don't know where he's going to factor in because we have some guys that have been around and, and they deserve playing time too. But I think Roger Robinson is, is a really, really good back. If I had to put my money on it, like me and my preferences, I think Branson Robinson right now is our best running back based off what I saw last season. Or like, I think he's more of the total package. I think he's got the speed, the power, the athleticism, short area quickness. He can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit. I really like Kendall Milton too. Um, Kendall really showed me something when he came back from injury late last season. Did some really good things for us and had some big moments, especially in the college football playoff. Had a couple touchdowns. And I'm really excited for him to come back and have a really healthy year. He deserves it. He's another great young man, a leader on our team, works really hard. And I am rooting hard for Kendall. Uh, I just don't know if he has that love that that next gear that I think Branson has. But Kendall's a really valuable player for us, and he's going to play a lot for us. And then Dejan, the guy that everyone all you know for most of his career, kind of just you know it's kind of like Lad, just kind of not really paid much attention to because he wasn't the highly recruited guy. But all this guy has done is work and improve and get better and produce. That's all the guy has done. I told you guys that all last season, all the man does is produce. He makes plays. All he does. He was our best short yardage back last year, even though he was the smallest back that we had because he's really slippery, has great vision, and he has that ability to kind of really just slip through the holes and get skinny through the holes. And uh, he just knows how to put his head down and get a couple yards. I mean, he's. I think he's a guy... As I've said before in the podcast, I think he's the the best candidate to kind of fill that Kenny McIntosh role as the receiver of the backfield. I don't think we really have one guy that can do what Kenny did because Kenny was elite as a receiver of the backfield. Dajan's not elite as a receiver of the backfield, but I think he's the the guy that has that a, a better skill set in doing that than anyone else in our running back room right now. So he he was a big time player for us last year. He's going to continue to have a big time role for us. Um, I do think that Kendall. And and uh, Branson are going to split a lot of time, uh, being that kind of that lead feature back. I think Andrew Paul and Roger Robinson are going to kind of battle out to be maybe a third or fourth guy there. But the good news is all of those options are really, really, really talented. And we are not hurting for talent in the running back room. We need one guy to emerge as, as the top guy. And I'm confident somebody will do that. We don't know who that's going to be. That's exciting to see what's going to happen in the spring. Like who's going to be the first guy out there? Who's going to make those plays? And that's going to carry on in the fall camp. But somebody will emerge. Maybe more than one guy will emerge. But there's just too much talent back there in that running back room for that not to be the case, especially that offensive line that they're going to be running behind, which I think has a chance to be the best offensive line in the entire country. But all right, guys, that's it. That is the offensive spring practice primer. That is every single position that we have now broken down. I gave you as many names I could, dark horses, my projections. I hope that gets you ready for spring practice. Now maybe you have a little bit of an idea of what to be watching for, what to be reading for, what to be listening for. And of course, we'll have that covered all throughout spring practice. We're going to recap each week of spring practice here on the podcast, but we're not done with our spring practice primers. I got one more of these to do. I'll have that for you guys late Thursday night. 
uh, into Friday, and we'll break down every single position on the defense, just like we did today for the offense, talk about who I think projects to be the starters to win these battles, who's some dark horses, names to know, all that stuff. So make sure to check back then, guys. I really appreciate each and every one of you. I know I say that a lot, but it's true, guys. I do. I appreciate you guys supporting this podcast. It means the world to us. We put a lot of work into it, and it's, uh, it's, it's really awesome to have you guys come back each and every week to support us. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. I'm Tyler. We'll be back one more time this week. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>